What's up, Spellsingers? My name is Gary and John Wells. I'm Drew Flitton. And this is Untap Upkeep Drink. Beer up. Welcome back, guys. Today, we're going to be finishing our 2013 decks for the Commander products. Uh, just like last episode, Corey was unable to make the recording. He's just, sometimes he's a busy dude. But as always, I've got with me Drew Flitton. What's going on, Drew? Not too much. Hopefully, just trying to get through these episodes, <laughs> enjoy some nice brews, just enjoying the day. So today, we had to run out. We had to grab some beers. We didn't have a whole lot of choice, but we did find some really good beers. They look real good. The one I'm going to be drinking today is Killer Grove by Talisman Brewing Company. It's a blood orange wheat ale. Beautiful color. Very orange. Like a dark. Hazy. Yeah, it's a little hazy. It smells a bit sour. It does smell sour, actually. It's, it's just Batch a, 13. So this is a, a very moderated beer. They're very proud of this one. Hmm. That is good, but it does, I think, fall towards the sour end of... I mean, you can tell that just by smelling it. Yeah, there's some tartness to it. Very fruity, though. On the nose, it's very much blood orange. Hmm. Ooh. That's refreshing. That has a very complex palate. It's... Yeah. Hold on. Had to go for a second sip because... Double sipping it. Right off the bat, it's very tart. It has that... that sourness from that you'd expect from a normal sour and then it kind of develops this orange sweetness to it kind of a little citric uh acidity going on with it and then it mellows out into this very even wheat beer flavor yeah the wheat is the aftertaste which is kind of weird but it is very it kind of kind of tickles the tongue and then it, it like smooths out and just becomes very nice and even that's that's a lovely beer that's a great beer all right so for me personally uh I've been looking into a particular brewery here in Utah for a while. Uh, I went to the, the fresh opening uh, in Logan, Utah uh, while I was there. They had a specific like brewer's appreciation night, basically, where nice. uh, we finally got this brewery in Logan, uh, and that's Keto's. So very excited about this beer. Uh, it's a coffee cream ale. Uh, I love coffee beers. They're, they're great. Uh, not really big on cream ales always. Uh, they're very hit and miss for me. But Keto's is a brand, is a brewery that I'm really kind of keen on getting to know more of just because the few that I've had have been exceptional. They have a coconut stout. And uh, I did, We grabbed a sixer of those. Too. Yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of did what is generally like not a great thing. And I paired a coconut stout with a pizza. And the stout's generally not what you want with a pizza. But as soon as that pizza was done, that beer was fucking good. Yours is nice and yellow. Kind of a... Golden it's a golden. Color. Oh man, that is a that's a pretty beer. Okay, there is a a dissonance between what I'm tasting and what I'm visualizing. <laughs> I want you to taste this, and you'll understand what I'm talking about. Okay, it's very clear. Yeah, mine was a little hazy. This is really clear and sort of yellow gold. What in the world? You understand? That what I'm is talking weird. About? Well, you get that really dark coffee flavor. You expect it to be black in the cup. Yeah, it's got to be dark is what you think. But this is beautiful. This looks like this a, a Stella or Artois or something like that. You know what I mean? That's good, though. I'm going for a double sipper on that. All right, now that we've got our beers in hand and we're sipping strong, let's get into deck number one. 
Technically uh, deck four. Yeah. All right. So this is evasive maneuvers. I played this deck. This deck is, it's goofy. It, it definitely is. Uh, but it is a lot of fun. Um, the commander, the the box commander is Derevi, Imperial Tactician. Uh, cool bird wizard. Who doesn't like a bird wizard? Uh, cost just Bant. That is green, white, blue for a two, three legendary creature, bird wizard. Got flying. And whenever Derevi enters the battlefield or a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, you may tap or untap target permanent. And he's got the commander special ability here. For one in Bant, that is one in green, white, blue, put Derevi onto the battlefield from the command zone. So this is his special command zone ability, and it's really strong. So where Prosh kind of benefited in some way from being cast multiple times and having his mana cost go up from the command tax, Derevi doesn't, but circumvents that in that his ability is you just never have to cast him for anything more than one extra mana. Yeah, he's got a really strong ability on him. All right, the next one we have is Rune of the Hidden Realm. So he costs two green, white, blue for a 4-4 legendary creature, Rhino Soldier. He's got Vigilance on Trample, and he has an activated ability to untap, exile another creature, return that creature to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. Now, he's only on 1,681 decks on EDH Rec, which is kind of surprising to me. I, I feel like I hear a lot about Rune. I think that we hear a lot about Rune because the ability is so strong. Yeah. It is a lot of those kind of like flash and the tricky shenanigans of ETB effects that people are trying to do. The the flicker, rather, not the flash. All right, next up, we've got our final uh, choice of commander, Rubinia Soulsinger. She's two and bant for a 2-3 legendary creature fairy. I think it should read Siren, just based on what she does. Her activated ability is you can tap her and gain control of target creature for as long as you control Rubinia and... Rubinia remains tapped. That's pretty strong. Yeah, just tap her, steal someone's thing. And then choose not to untap her. Yeah. So it's just, I mean, it's a mind control-like effect. You do have the the cost of not being able to use Rubinia's ability again, obviously, or just her as a, a creature, basically. It's just a one-time thing. But it's still decently strong. Now, this deck is obviously what we we tend to overuse the word shenanigans. Uh, this is a shenanigans deck. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, this wants to tap and untap things. It's got these tricks that it wants to do. These are shenanigans. Yeah, that's the true definition. Yeah. Truest, purest form. This deck wants to shenan and shenan again. <laughs> God, but <I'm> <laughs> uh, it's got a lot of flash and instant speed tricks. It likes the flicker and the ETB matters. Yeah, Ruin loves that sort of thing, so... Yeah. Uh, it's got some theft going on. Which is really awkward. It's mostly just Rubinia, but there is, I think, one other card that kind of plays into that. But really, all of these decks have the same idea, which is that it wants to be kind of tricky, unpredictable, and very reactive. That's what this deck is focused on, is just being able to react to things. Yep. So, so the basics. So if you were to build this on your own, it costs between about 75 and 80 uh, to build. Uh, CMC is 3.44, so nice. that's pretty good. I, I like that. So it's got about 38 lands. And those could be redistributed a little bit better based on the color ratio of the deck. But other than that, it's pretty decent. Ramp, we're almost there. Looks good. We've got eight, maybe nine, depending on how you count them. Especially when we're talking with Bant deck. Uh, that's pretty impressive that they decided to do that. I mean, hey, you have green, as always. Green yeah. needs to ramp. Blue is actually decent at getting some sort of ramp and that sort of shenanigans. But for a blue deck, especially one that wants to do all these sort of like instant speed shenanigans, these kind of like tricky plays, card draw is kind of light. It's got four... Yeah. To seven, there's kind of a, a range in there just because there are cards that could be card draw, but generally are not. Yeah, it's kind of 
the same thing when we talk about a green deck not having enough ramp. Yeah. If you're in blue, you should have some good card draw. Uh, removal is lower than some of the other decks, uh, about five to seven in there, including counter spells, uh, which is almost to the realm where I like to see. It's a lot lower than 11, as it was in that last deck. Yeah. But uh, still a little high for me. Board wipes, two to three, which I'm I'm okay with. Like I'd rather see like three to five, but three is fine. Now, the relevant cards for the deck, the sort of tap untap cards, there's about 12 of them. Drew's still freaking himself out by looking at his beer and then trying to taste what he sees. <laughs> that's that's the accurate... Yeah, that's... that's uh, so there's about 12 of those. The flash and instant speed cards, there's only five? Yeah, which means that Derevian total there only has about 17 cards working for him. Um, I would count some of the, the Flicker and ETB cards with Derevian just because there are ways to, to use flicker in order to get those extra ETBs and things like that. Um, but without rune, there's only 12 cards that interact there. And there's only two theft cards without Rubinia. With her, there's the three, but that's not really worth putting in the deck. Yeah, it's one of those ones that's like, it feels splashed for flavor, but not necessarily for synergy. Yeah, I was like, look at this old card we have that we've printed. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it cool? Don't you like that? All right, let's talk about some notable cards here. The first up, we've got Azami, Lady of Scrolls. She has more decks than what L Rubinia does. Yeah, she is pretty strong. She's two blue, blue, blue for a 0-2 legendary creature, human wizard. And it says tap an untapped wizard you control, then draw a card. Pretty pretty decent include. I mean, that mana cost is really heavy, though. It's hard to hard to work around. Yeah, it is restricted with the three, with the three blues. Next up, we have Lu Jun. Scholar General. This one's kind of a an odd one as well. You can tell it's old because he's got horsemanship. Yeah. So horsemanship as the text, this creature can't be blocked except by creatures with horsemanship. So basically means unblockable in most games of Commander. Uh, yeah. He costs two blue-blue. He's a human and a 1-3. Uh, human soldier and a 1-3. Uh, and whenever Luzhun Scholar General deals damage to an opponent, you may draw a card. Basically it's just, hey, I'm a, I have a creature that's unblockable and it's going to get me draw. Yeah. Uh, Up next, we've got Angel of Finality. I almost said Fidelity. It is Finality. Three and a white for a 3-4 creature Angel, with flying, of course. When Angel of Finality enters the battlefield, exile all cards from target player's graveyard. So some solid grave hate. Yeah, this is one of those cards that generally isn't going to be like the most amazing card to include, but if you do have any sort of graveyard shenanigan decks, like it's just a, a good include. It's a, it's a, a decent Bajuka body. Bog with wings. I think I'd rather Pajuka Bog. It gives me mana. That's true. All right. So the next one we have is Farhaven Elf. Uh, it's a great ramp creature in these flicker style decks. So when it enters the battlefield, you may search your library for a basic land card, put it onto the battlefield tap, shuffle your library. So if you can get this effect multiple times, you're you're sitting pretty like this. It's a good card. Yep. Up next, we've got Aether Mage's Touch. It's two uh, white and a blue. For an instant that says reveal the top four cards of your library, you may put a creature card from among them onto the battlefield. It gains at the beginning of your end step, return this creature to its owner's hand, then put the rest of the cards revealed this way on the bottom of your library in any order. So this is a great way to just cheat out creatures really quickly. If you have creatures with ETB effects, it's even better. And the fact that it bounces to your hand isn't actually that consequential for the most part because you just want to get those ETB abilities. All right, next up, we have one of the incarnations. We've got Wonder. It costs three and a blue for a 2-2 incarnation. Has flying, and as long as Wonder is in your graveyard and you control an island, creatures you control have flying. So good. So we've seen things like Anger, which is, again, one of the cards that I think just goes in most red decks with creatures. 
uh, where it gives creatures haste, this gives creatures flying, like Brawn gives trample, like these are all very good uh, cards, these incarnations, but it's kind of awkward in this deck in that it needs to be in your graveyard, and this deck doesn't have any sack outlets that I can see, it doesn't really have any ways to interact with that, I don't really know how you put it in your graveyard aside from just making somebody block it, but again, why are they going to do that? Yeah, if they knew they could just take two, it might be worth it for them, I don't know. Next up, we've got Merc Fiend Liege, and it's two and three combo Simic mana, so blue or green. Uh, it's a 4-4 creature horror, and it says other green creatures you control get plus one, plus one. Other blue creatures you control get plus one, plus one. Untap all green and or blue creatures you control during each other player's untap step. That's solid. This is a good card. I like it. Quite that, a bit. The mana cost is kind of restrictive. Basically can only play it in Simic plus decks. And while that is kind of a bummer, and I don't generally play Simic style decks, if I did, I'm going to auto-include this. Absolutely. In Derevi, it's insane because you want to untap and tap things all the time. And if you have a way to just get free untaps on every player's upkeep... It's too good. This is, a, this is an auto-target card. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, you got removal. Yeah. And they don't have a, a Merc Fiendly. All right. The next card we've got is Basalt Monolith. This card, everyone should know this card. Uh, it costs three generic for an artifact. Basalt Monolith doesn't untap during your untap step. Has activated abilities. Tap to add three colorless and pay three to untap Basalt Monolith. So on its own, it taps and untaps. Cool. But this is a combo piece. This card is very, very good at generating infinite mana. And it just, I mean, it's a solid mana rock on its own. Yeah, with all the other flicker and untap type cards that we've got in here, it becomes exponentially better. We really like it. Um, in the ramp package, we have a yep. couple of others in here. We've got Darksteel Ingot, which I put in most of my decks just because we do have a lot of artifact hate in our playgroup. Um, so it's three for an artifact. Uh, indestructible. Tap to add one mana of any color. So it's it's a command tower in an artifact form, which tends to be bad because it could be killed, but because it's indestructible, it's a pretty solid card. Yeah, I really like this one. We also have the Selesnia and Simic Signets. Yeah, I think those are solid includes, to be perfectly honest with you. I think Signets in any deck are a solid include. Yeah. Honestly, like, ramp is going to be good. Why not make it colorless? Why not make it harder to interact with than just a creature? Yeah. Up next, we've got Surveyor's Scope. It's two generic mana for an artifact. It says, tap and exile Surveyor Scope. Search your library for up to X basic land cards where X is the number of players who control at least two more lands than you. Put those cards onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. So I really like this card, but I think that it is ironic in this deck just for this group of, uh, of decks because this is the deck with the best ramp. So this is the deck that you're least likely going to be able to activate it and benefit off of it. So next we have a Commander Staple. We've got Croson Grip. So this card is great. It is two and a green for an instant, and it's got split second. So it's better than any normal instant, which means that while this spell's on the stack, no other spells can be cast. So when you cast this, it's going to resolve, basically. Uh, it has the text, destroy target artifact or enchantment. For three mana, artifact or enchantment hate, it's great. And in, in essence, uncounterable. Up next, we've got Kirtar's Wrath. It's four white-white for a sorcery that says destroy all creatures. They can't be regenerated. Okay, a nice wrath effect. Yep. It's also got Threshold, which means if seven or more cards are in your graveyard, instead destroy all creatures, then create two 1-1 one, one white spirit creature tokens with flying. Creatures destroyed this way can't be regenerated. It's kind of a win-more card with the Threshold, 
But honestly, you play this card just for the, the wrath effect. You don't really care about the, the token generation. It's kind of nice, but it's like, eh, I don't honestly care. Yeah, it's never one of those cards that you're waiting to have seven or more cards in your graveyard to try and get that value. You no, just you, want it for the wrath effect. Yeah, you play this card because it's a wrath and it sometimes has additional upside. Yep. All right. Up next is a very enticing card. Would you say it's tempting? <laughs> yeah. All right, we've got Tempt with Glory. I think this is the worst Tempt card. Just I absolutely agree. In a vacuum, it just isn't that great. It's five and white for a sorcery. The tempting offer is put a 1-1 counter on each creature you control, and then each opponent may put a 1-1 counter on each creature he or she controls, and for each opponent who does so, you get to put another 1-1 counter on each creature you control. So first off, this deck likes to flicker things, so plus and plus one counters aren't great. Second, this deck doesn't really care about plus and plus one counters at all. So plus one plus one counters aren't great. And third, this deck isn't going wide. This deck is not like, I want a bunch of counters on Yeah, the, the only time ones. this benefits you is if you've got 30 creatures or some crazy yeah. amount where like you going can actually from, add that power to the board. Right, going from one power to two power is massive. You're doubling your power. But if your creatures are three, four, five, six power and you're putting these counters on, it's just not that much of a, a bonus effect unless you can double those counters or just benefit from them in some other way. And this deck really isn't doing that. And the most you could ever add... I mean, potentially four or five power if everybody's tempted. Yeah, I mean, each creature. In, in a four-player game, you're adding four, assuming that everyone tempts. This and, honestly might be the only one that I would say you may as well accept the tempt because yeah. the downside's really not that big. Yeah, like, honestly, I don't think this is, like, the craziest thing because like, you can wash out afterwards and just, like, have somebody board wipe or whatever, and it's, like, yeah. not that big of a deal. Like, people are just like, go ahead, invest your mana into it, go ahead... We'll fucking take the tempt. Like, yeah, the fact that it's six mana is even worse, man. This card's just yeah. Bleh. All right, we got our staples, of course. We've got Swiftfoot Boots, Command Tower, Soul Ring, and Opal Palace. These are in all the decks, and we have the Bant Panorama. This allows you to fetch an island, a forest, or a plains. Put it on the battlefield tap. It's decent, and you know the fact that Panoramas tap for mana on their own beforehand is good. Another land we've got in here is notable is Salt Crested Step, and you can tap and add one generic to your mana pool. Or you can tap one and tap and put a storage counter on Salt Crested Step. Then you can tap one colorless, remove X storage counters from Salt Crested Step, and add X mana in any combination of green and or white to your mana pool. Yeah, so this is one of the storage lands. It's like they're not exceptional, but oftentimes they're, they're just good enough. And cards like this, while it is slow and you do have to kind of invest mana into it, when you do get the chance to pop off with this, it often means a big turn for you. Yeah, it, the only problem I see is that it, you have to tap it as well as a colorless, so you can't just stash a, bun, a bunch of mana on it. In yeah, one it's turn. essentially going to cost you two mana every time to, to stack up on it. Yeah, so it... Like you said, it's slow, so it takes a while, but it also removes itself from the game until it's ready to go off. So, yeah. yeah, and in a deck like this that does care about like ETB effects or like instant speed flicker, all these sorts of like tricky shenanigans, and untapping is very important, uh, it becomes better. Yeah. Up next, we've got Conjurer's Closet. This is part of my most interesting cards of this deck. We've got Conjurer's Closet. It's an artifact for five generic. At the beginning of your end step, you may exile target creature you control, then return that card to the battlefield under your control. Sweet. This card is awesome. I really like this. The fact that you get to flick cards during each of your end steps at no cost. At no cost, yeah. That's it's, really the big thing. Another one on this interesting cards list is Thousand Year Elixir. It's three generic for an artifact. You may activate abilities of creatures you control as though those creatures had haste. 
and tap one and tap thousand year elixir, you can untap target creature. So for one, activating abilities, so they had haste, is very strong, right? It gives your creatures just that much more benefit. Um, and then the fact that it also allows you to untap creatures, it just gets even better. We've got Fiend Hunter next. So Fiend Hunter is a very cool card. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, you may exile another target creature. When it leaves the battlefield, return the exiled card to the battlefield under its owner's control. So the reason why Fiend Hunter is on this list is because of the flicker shenanigans that go on. So when Fiend Hunter enters the battlefield, you target something. And both abilities are going to go on, on the stack if you time it right. So the first ability enters the battlefield, you may exile the target creature, and then you need a way to flicker it or get rid of Fiend Hunter's sacrifice in some way, and then it leaves the battlefield. So the leaves the battlefield, goes on the stack first, and then the other ability will tar target that creature and exile. So you'll be able to permanently exile something with it. So Fiend Hunter has this kind of O-ring ability that they fixed after a period of time because Fiend Hunter's combo was so kind of degenerate. Makes sense. Basically, it acted as just like a path to exile that they don't get a benefit from. Right. Another one we've got on here is Flicker Wisp. It's one white, white for a 3-1 creature elemental. The artwork is bizarre. I don't know what the hell's going on here. But it's it has flying and it says, When Flicker Wisp enters the battlefield, exile another target permanent. Return that card to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. So Flicker Wisp is kind of one of the OG Flicker style mechanics. Um, it's one of the reasons why... We call it flickering is because of flicker wisp and the card flicker. So this card, again, it's another combo piece. It's a really strong card. And honestly, like if you're playing white and you're looking for some way to just go off in a crazy combo, this is a card that's pretty good for it. Speaking of combo, we've got Karmic Guide. Yeah, another card you hear a whole lot about. So Karmic Guide is three white white for two two angel spirit creature. It's got flying and protection from black. So bro black, not bad. It's got echo for three white white which has the text, at the beginning of your upkeep, if this came under your control since the beginning of your last upkeep, sacrifice it unless you pay its echo cost. Generally, that's not going to matter. Right. When Karma Guide enters the battlefield, return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. That's the part we care about. If we're going to flicker this, we're going to cause some sort of doubling of ETB effects or whatever. This card is money. Another card you hear a whole lot about is Blue Sun Zenith. It X and three blue pips. So X, blue, blue, blue for an instant Remember that instant. That's the biggest part. Target player draws X cards. Shuffle Blue Sun Zenith into its owner's library. Strong card. This card. Uh, this card's dumb. <laughs> Too dumb for you? I mean, okay, you make infinite mana, you mill someone out. It's true. I mean, it's not that hard to make infinite mana, especially in blue. It's just, this card, it's very strong, and I like it a lot, especially since I have a deck built around draw stuff. But it's just, I don't know. I just think cards that say shuffle this card into its owner's library are naturally going to be somewhat busted. All right, so another card I have on the list here is Unexpectedly Absent, and this is because of the tuck rule. And again, tuck rule wasn't really instated until about 2015, so this sort of effect is was super punishing back in then. Pretty good. It's X white white for an instant, and it says put target non-land permanent into its owner's library just beneath top X cards of that library. Yeah, if you're putting a lot of mana into this, again, if you're looking at, like, commanders and things like that, people weren't getting that card back. No, and I mean, even three or four turns with a commander sets you way back. Yeah, and the fact that they have to sacrifice one of their draw steps as well in order to draw True. the card that they should have access to at all times is is very punishing. All right, the last Much one we have... Much weaker now. Uh, yeah, definitely. But still very good for just normal creatures. Yeah. This card is especially punishing if you know that your opponent is about to use some sort of shuffle effect. So you put that card into their library and then they shuffle it because this is at instant speed. Yeah. So it's just, hey, how about your thing goes away forever? All right, the last card we have here 
is Bane of Progress, which is just Bane of my personal existence as an enchantment player. So Bane of Progress is four green green for a 2-2 elemental. Seems kind of bad first off. When Bane of Progress enters the battlefield, destroy all artifacts and enchantments. Put a plus one plus one counter on Bane of Progress for each permanent destroyed this way. It's pretty good. It's really good, yeah. and I hate it. Like, I've had this hit on my Nekusar deck, which is just a lot of enchantments and artifacts, and it basically just said, target player loses the game. That target player was me. Now, with all that said, this deck, I mean, just the fact that it has so many, like, commander staples that have lasted from 13 on makes me think highly of it. So what they do well in this one? Uh, first and foremost... They finally got the ramp right. Yep. It took them four decks that we've been talking about. Finally got there. Has a decent amount of card draw. I'd like to see more. Um, and it's got lots of interaction. Ways to kind of mess with your opponents or help them out if you want to with these untap and tap shenanigans, uh, flickering effects, etc. Like, there is ways to both help and hinder your opponents, and I really enjoy that. Yeah. Now, it has what some a lot of my decks have, which is it just doesn't have a clear way to win. Right. It has some value, it has some good cards, it has some really good synergies, but there's no, like, if I get to this point, I win the game. Yeah, there's no, like, obvious combo or just, like, I mean, I guess, theoretically, you could probably, in this deck alone, make some kind of combo with, like, Basalt Monolith and Blue Sun Zenith to go off and just mill somebody out, but... Yeah, but even then, I mean, infinite mana you could probably create, but then you also have to have that piece in order to to use it to mill someone. Yeah, I think it would take a lot of work to get there. Uh, I honestly, and that's still only one person. And yeah. So that's not a win con, that's just an insta-kill. <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, it also could use more ramp. I would like to see better removal. And it's only got like two like hard board wipes, so I'd like to see something else. You're playing blue, Cyclonic Rift is there. Yeah. Until it gets banned, who knows. Um, it's also got a weird... Like token and plus one plus one counter generation package that's just yeah it's like super you were saying awkward. it's not good with blinking because you're loading everybody up and doing all these things and then they disappear and all that work is for nothing yeah even if the creature comes back like you care about the ETB effect on the creature you don't care about the creature's power generally speaking right and because of this we have this problem which it doesn't really stick to one theme very well we looked at the prosh deck and it does what it wants to do but this it spreads it around too much and. Like, it tries to focus a little bit more on Rune than I think that it should be. I mean, Rubini is, like, the kind of card that I see, and I'm like, oh, that's a cool card, cool creature. It kind of has this tap-on-tap shenanigan going on with it, this this theft. And there's two cards that support it. You know, it's like, that's kind of what I want to see out of these commander decks. I want to see one commander that's super well-supported, and then these other ones are just like, hey, these aren't great in the deck. They kind of work in the deck, but these are what we want you to make other decks out of. Uh, is the deck fun to play? Have you played this deck? No, sir, I have not. Oh, it's it seems fun though. It's amusing. The whole flicker it's, idea. It's difficult to win, honestly. But having the Revy and all of the the nonsense that goes around with him, it's a lot of fun. As uh, soon as I saw the Revy, I was just like, "This is a very strong ability." I don't know what's in this deck, but his ability but alone is going to be good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so trying to to play around him and trying to figure out how to win was a puzzle, and. Ultimately, it kind of came down to if I can tap my opponent's stuff down and then just get in for free combat damage. That's kind of where it came down to. But this deck is, honestly, I don't know if it's built to win. It's built to not lose. That's how it feels. Yeah. This is a solid prevent defense. Yeah, the interactions and the reactive nature of it is is very good. But, I mean, there's there's some stuff that could be done to improve it. 
Yeah. Now, some of the things that we could do to improve it, obviously, uh, you know, you got to pick a lane. You got to figure out which which way you're going to go and hone it down. Um, we could use more card draw. You're in blue. Why do you not have more? You got to have more card draw. And maybe a little more additional ramp. I would say better ramp, like the yeah. most efficient, effective ramp that you can do. And yeah, you got to have some some win cons. You got to find a couple a couple ways to consistently win the game. Yep. And you know how you don't win a game? By playing the curses. So take those out. <laughs> that's true. All right. All I think right. that's a that's a pretty good summary of that deck. It's I don't know, power level. It's not high, but at the same time like it has potential. All right. Let's move on to our deck number 5. Mind Seize. Featuring, uh, honestly, I've heard so many different people pronounce this this card's name. I just don't. Jaleva. Jaleva is a Jaleva. Yaleva. It's definitely not Jaleva. Could be Jaleva. Jaleva. It's a hell of a card, is what I think. Okay, shut up and read it. <laughs> All right, Jaleva Nefalia's Curse is one blue, black, red for a one-three legendary creature, Vampire Wizard. Uh, she's got flying, and it says when Jaleva Nefalia's Scourge enters the battlefield, each player exiles the top X cards of his or her library, where X is the amount of mana spent to cast Jaleva. Whenever Jaleva attacks, you may cast an instant or sorcery card exiled with it without paying its mana cost. So, two strong abilities that scale with, uh, you know, the more times that you cast it. Yep, we see that time and time again with these decks. Man, that, that second ability. Free spells. Free spells. Not even your spells. Just free. I mean, they can be, and most of the time they probably are because you're going to build your deck around her. But, man, I immediately goes to just what are the best cards you could cast off of her. Yeah, for free. I mean, for four mana, you think of one card in particular. It's a sorcery. Cost nine mana. Nine. Expropriate. Ooh, that would be a solid one. That card will just win you the game on its own. God, if you got lucky enough to stumble into an expropriate, that'd be pretty sweet. It's probably in your own deck. Well, but I mean, like, on the turn that you cast her, but... Yeah, another one of the legendary creatures we've got here. It's my boy. Next are the Mind Razor. My boy. So while while Jaleva only has about 1,200 decks, Nekusar has almost 3,000, got 2,800 or so. Strong. So Nekusar the Mind Razor is two blue, black, red for a legendary creature zombie wizard. He's a 2-4. At the beginning of each player's draw step, that player draws an additional card. So that's not that great for you because somebody else is going to get that benefit first. But whenever an opponent draws a card, Nekusar the Mind Razor deals one damage to that player. That's strong. You're already guaranteeing at least two. Yeah. And and more, because you're not just going to play Nekusar in a deck that doesn't cause some sort of benefit from it. Every single time, like, what do we say the two most powerful things in Commander? What, what are the two things you want to do most? Card draw. And? Ramp. And how much of that's going to be punished? All of it. Every single time you draw, pretty decent. So whenever an opponent draws a card, Nekusar deals one damage to that player. So you're guaranteeing damage off of people's draw. People want to draw in the game, right? People want to ramp. They want to draw cards. Like, that's just... What we tell people, because that's going to help you to get to your win conditions, help you win the game. And then you just punish people for it. It's good stuff. And this is something that's going to punish at least two damage every turn just by himself, which is solid. The last one we have is Thraxamunder. He's four blue, black, red for a 6-6 six, six legendary creature, a zombie assassin. So what's weird to me is that he has almost 900 decks built around him. Very expensive commander. He has a couple abilities. He's got haste. 
And he also has, whenever Thraxman attacks, defending player sacrifices a creature. Okay, I can see why it's a little better. And whenever a player sacrifices a creature, you may put a plus one, plus one counter on Thraxman. All right, so, let's get into this deck. What does it want to do? So this is an instant Sorcerer's Matter deck. It messes with the opponent's draw and their spells. Um, and there's a little bit of, you know, theft kind of thing, stealing cast opponent's spells, kind of, sort of. Yeah, I mean, Haleva definitely does that. Uh, the basics of this deck, though, is it costs about $75 if you were to yeah. build it on your own. That's decent. Yeah, it's Makes not bad. with its power level, to be honest. I mean, Haleva's very strong herself, but the rest of the cards around her are not as great. Yeah, you could definitely do some upgrading. The CMC is 3.8. It's a little, a high. little higher than what I'd like, but, I mean, it's certainly better than one of the other decks we looked at. Yeah, but especially when we're talking about instants and sorceries kind of matter... I think it should definitely be lower. Um, there's 40 lands and five and a half ramp cards. Uh, one fixes, so it's not actually ramp. Yeah, that's fair. Card draw, though. We did it. Finally, we got some card draw. <laughs> You'd expect that in an instant sorcery deck. It's got about 10 to 12 cards, which, I mean, it's a little higher than what we want, but sure beats being a little low. Oh, definitely. Removal. We're running hot here. Almost well, like 10. Yeah. Including your counter spells. Yeah, which... I don't necessarily like counterspells in this deck just because you're trying to cast spells for free. And casting a counterspell for free off of your creature attacking, it's not, I don't, it just doesn't work. Like, Yeah, what are you going to counter? What's yeah. the stack that you're trying to mess with? Um, there's three to five board wipes. So Perfect. Solid. That is exactly where I want it. Yep. It's got some relevant theme cards. There's 32 Jaleva-themed cards, not including herself. That's good. Instants and sorceries, we got 23 that's that's great. And yep. just cards that care about spells, spells matter, kind of thing. Those instance of sorcery uh, adjacent cards. Yeah. And then there's nine of those. Um, the Nekusar cards, there's only eight of them. Those are like ways to force opponents to draw or cards that punish opponents for drawing. Honestly, I'm okay with that. I'd rather be focused on Haleva. That'll be good. But do you feel like those eight sacrifice from the major game plan? or I think they... a lot of them are going to be instance and sorceries. And they're going to just kind of help. So they're just kind of, just kind of extra. Yeah. Um, the Thraxum under cards. <laughs> There's a card. There's one card. Yeah. It causes opponents to sacrifice creatures, which I mean, he kind of wants. It makes him bigger. Yeah. Up next, we've got our notable cards. So what are we starting with? We've got Uyo. 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 The Silent Prophet. So it's four blue blue. For a 4-4 legendary creature, Moonfolk Wizard. Got flying and two, return two lands you control to those owner's hands. Copy target, instant or sorcery spell. You may choose new targets for the copy. That's pretty solid. It's not bad. Returning lands. It's okay. Now my favorite thing to uh, do. I mean, I'd like some landfall with this. Oh, you can make say, a busted deck with this. That's true. And Ooh, I kind of want to make this deck. <laughs> we're, we're getting... Uh, we're getting some light bulbs going on here. Now, the idea of copying instant or sorcery spell and choosing new targets, that's, that's always strong. very good. Especially since with her, you tap two lands, and then you return those tapped lands to your hand. Right. You're right? still like, only spending two lands. They do have to go back to your hand, but you're not... Right. What I'm saying is mana. that the two mana that you spent can be the two lands that you return to your hand. Right. Rather than having mean, like yeah. to, to return other things. So if you haven't yeah. played your land for the turn, then there is some pseudo ramp that can go on with her, which is pretty cool. Um, another one we've got is Baleful Force. He's five black, black, black for a seven, seven creature elemental. It says at the beginning of each upkeep, you draw a card and lose a life. That's 
each upkeep. That's four draws. Yeah, this card's sweet. Honestly, like if you have a way to like really just turn through your deck, you're going to find answers. You're going to find ways to do it. And if you have ways to gain life for whatever reason, then you don't aren't getting punished for this. Like, even if you are getting punished, like we started at 40 life, you'll probably be at, say, 20, 30 when this card comes out. It's going to help you win the game. Yeah, I mean, Necropotence, that's why it was always so strong because 10 life for 10 cards, I'm taking that every time in Commander. Are you kidding me? I'll do it. Let's go. Yeah, you. This this card basically puts you even for the table. If I, this is, we always talk about how in a Commander, you're always going to be down whatever cards that your opponents draw, right? Because yep. you're playing three people. This card puts you ahead here. It finally gets you to the point where having three opponents isn't necessarily a bad thing as far as card advantage is concerned. All right, another black card we've got in here is Sudden Spoiling. Split second. It's one and a black and a black. Until end of turn, creatures, target player controls, lose all abilities, and have base power and toughness is 0-2. Yeah, this really messes up combat. Got to play around these split second cards. Uh, moving on, we've got Croesus's Charm. So it's blue, black, red. For an instant, choose one. Return target permanent to its owner's hand. Solid. Destroy target non-black creature. Can't be your generated. Solid. Destroy target artifact. All solid for three mana. So for three mana, it's a removal spell. But sometimes you need to bounce a permanent, whether that's a land, artifact, enchantment, whatever. Sometimes you need to destroy a creature. Can't be regenerated. Yep. One of the first artifacts we're going to talk about in this deck is uh, Mirari. It's five generic for a legendary artifact. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, you may pay three colorless. If you do, copy that spell. You may choose new targets for the copy. So if you cast a spell off of your label for free and you pay three, right? that means you get two copies of a good spell for three. I'm on board. That costs five, but like that effect is pretty good. Just having it out there to potentially double your, your potency is, I'm down. Yeah, I think it's good. The next card we have is Cruel Ultimatum. So this card is a very restrictive mana cost. It costs blue, blue, black, 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 red, red. So these are Nicol Bolas colors. It's a sorcery. Target opponent sacrifices a creature. Hey, Thrax him under. He likes that. They discard three cards, then lose five life. You return a creature card from your graveyard to your hand, draw three cards, then gain five life. So this is in a cycle of cards that are like the double pip, triple pip, double pip. And this card honestly is, it's medium. I don't know when you're ever going to be able to cast this card and benefit from it. When you cast it for free. I stand corrected. One of the only times you're going to be able to cast this card and really benefit from it is if you can pull it out for free. Yeah, I mean, if you can cast this, double it, then you're starting to get there. But, like, we're talking about Christmas land here. Like, yeah. Like, it's incredibly restrictive. And honestly, it is powerful, but it's not exceptional. A card that's much better than all right. The next one is a black card called Decree of Pain. Six black black for a sorcery. It says destroy all creatures. They can't be regenerated. Draw a card for each creature destroyed this way. Sold. Already. It also has cycling for three black black, so you can discard and draw a card, which is... It's kind of expensive decent. cycling. I was going to say, it's decent to have cycling, but for, for five mana, that's kind of expensive. Uh, but it also says when you cycle Decree of Pain, all creatures get negative two, negative two until end of turn. So in effect, you could still end up with a board wipe. Yeah, this card... This card can be a beating, even in its alternate cast. Sometimes you actually want to cast that alternate cast because, well, when you cycle it, one, can't be countered. Right. Two, it gets minus two, minus two, which means that creatures with indestructible and other sort of effects are still going to be affected by this. They can still die. 
All right, next up. Next up is Starstorm. Cost X red red for an instant. Starstorm deals X damage to each creature. So here's a damage-based creature board wipe. Yep. You can also cycle it for three, so. Uh, give me to create pain. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Uh, another one we're going to talk about here is an artifact called Temple Bell. It's three generic. And it says tap and each player draws a card. I like this card in my Nekusar deck. I was going to say, nowhere this is else. a Nekusar card, for sure. All right. Prosperity. This yeah, is another Nekusar card. Oh, yep. There you go. So this is X and blue. Each player draws X cards. If this was just you draw X cards, I'd like it a lot. If you want that, you need to pay an extra blue. Right. But it's it's fine in this deck. I really like it in my Nekusar deck. Uh, if you're running Nekusar for this deck, I like it. Otherwise, one, I don't like casting Haleva spells for X. Yaleva does not want that. Because if you cast a spell for free and it has X in the cast, X is zero. Bummer. Another one we're going to talk about is Jace's Archivist. I like this boy. Yeah, he tends to pop up quite a bit. It's one blue-blue for a 2-2 creature, Vidalcan Wizard. It says one blue and tap. Each player discards his or her hand, then draws cards equal to the greatest number of cards a player discarded this way. So it's wheel. A wheel. Yep. Wheel and deal. This card's good. It's good. It's just good. Like, honestly, if you're able to play out your hand, you tap this boy, make your opponent's discard, you drop the most of whatever was discarded, you're pretty happy. That's true. You don't even care about the value you steal from everybody else. You just want to refill the hand. All right. Next on our list, we've got Incendiary Command. This is part of that command cycle, like Crypto Command and Primal Command. So for three red red, we've got a sorcery. Choose two. Incendiary Command deals four damage to target player, deals two damage to each creature, destroy target non-basic land, or each player discards all the cards in his or her hand, then draws that mini. So we got another wheel. And <laughs> it's got some flexibility, some of which are a lot stronger than the others. Yeah. But yeah, at least you've got the choice. Let's say it's card draw in red. Some of the cards that are not meh, obviously Swiftfoot Boots, we got Soul Ring, we got Command Tower and Opal Palace, and we got the Grixis Panorama. The last land that we're going to talk about is Bajuka Bog. It's great. When it enters the battlefield, exile target player's graveyard. Solid card. I basically and it run taps it. Taps for colored mana, which is yeah, pretty good. Taps for black. So I run it in every black deck that I play. Always. You almost have to. Yeah. All right, let's move on. We've got True Name Nemesis. This card is dumb. He's one and two blue for a 3 1 creature Merfolk Rogue. And it says, as True Name Nemesis enters the battlefield, choose a player. True Name Nemesis has protection from the chosen player. Like I said, this card is dumb. Uh, this card is legal in Legacy, Vintage, some of the Highlander scenes. Those are 1v1 formats. When you say protection from target player in a 1v1 format, that means you can't interact with this card. This card can block whatever you have without taking any damage. True Name is a dumb card. Moving on. All right, so this is still part of our most interesting cards. True Name was the start of this. We've got Army of the Damned. So this card, <laughs> this card is cool. So for five black, 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 that's eight mana total, we've got a sorcery. Create 13 tapped 2-2 two, two black zombie creature tokens. And it has flashback for seven black, black, black. So that's 26 2-2 two, two zombies. It also costs 18 mana to play. Twice. For, I mean, 18 mana for 50, 52 power. Not bad, I guess. Spread out amongst 26 <laughs> creatures. Yeah. This card. The only problem they have with it is that they come in tapped. Yeah. I mean, I think this card could potentially just be busted if it wasn't. Yep. Next one we have on the list is just 
I don't want to say it's necessarily one of my all-time favorite cards because I hate playing against it. Uh, just because I do like tokens. So Propaganda is two and a blue for an enchantment. Creatures can't attack you unless their controller pays two for each creature he or she controls that's attacking you. So I guess you're right. This is a very creature-centered defense. Right. And when you need it, again, against like tokens and things like that, it's fantastic. But against like Voltron strategies or just you don't care about creatures. Like our, our meta, I think it's very, this is a good card for it because we do have a creature-heavy meta. But Propaganda is a good card. I include it in all of my blue enchantment decks. It's just a card that's going to be very valuable. It's taxing your opponents to attack you. If they want to play cards, they can play cards. If they want to attack you, they can attack you, but they generally can't do both. Right. So the deck seems pretty strong um, as far as this five-card meta goes. What do you think they did well? So first off, they kept to the main theme very, very well. Uh, most of the cards are oriented around Uleva. So they've got lots of spells, lots of ways to synergize well with them. Uh, as you'd expect in an instant sorcery deck, there's a really good amount of card draw, which is awesome. There's a great amount of flexible m- removal, like the charm that we talked about, Croesus' charm, and your card draw is going to fall into your instant sorcery plan. So it, this is all working well together. So what did they do poorly? Like most priest cons, you could always use some more ramp, and it does use some card draw that benefits everybody, um, but there's no, there's not enough ways to punish people drawing cards. That right. Way. The Nekusar plan in this deck just doesn't really have a leg to stand on. Yeah. And they added the Thraxamunder, but didn't provide anything that goes along with his plan. There's also really no way to protect Jaleva other than counterspells. Yeah, there's a couple counterspells, but other than that, it's just kind of weak to removal. I mean, all creatures are weak to removal, but like you've got Swiftfoot Boots. That's it. That's that's nice. Yeah. So probably should look at giving her more protection and also should look into limiting cards with X in their mana cost. I alluded to this before, but having cards with X in your mana cost, when you cast them for free, X is zero. So whatever awesome thing that was going to happen with that spell isn't. Yeah. So anytime you try and do anything with Jaleva, you got to be careful with that. Um, the curses are in there. Just take them out. Yeah. So we're kind of getting into what could be done to improve it. Obviously, we talked about better amp. Add more. But better put the signets in, right? Uh, we can replace that friendly, that symmetric card draw with more useful instants and sorceries, right? Things that discounts our spells, things like that. Um, take out the curses, obviously. Uh, kind of skipped over it here, but I've played a deck similar to this. Not this deck exactly, but a Haleva deck that was instant sorcery heavy. Didn't really care about what other people were doing. That was kind of just a bonus if you got something cool. But do you think this is a fun deck? Do you think this would be a fun deck? It sounds fun to me. I like the idea of moving uh, at instant speed frequently. I like the idea of potentially being able to cheat mana cost and bring things out for free. One of the most powerful things you can do in Magic. But but I just don't see the real clear win path. I don't see the superb value you look for in a deck like this. I think there could be a lot of frustrating moments in the game where things aren't lining up the way you want them to. I think that's... It's reasonable. So we've done, we've, we've given you an overview of all five of the decks from 2013. Um, I think they had a good variety this time around. Yeah, I definitely would agree with that. But like we said before, there are a lot of cards that are kind of meh. Yeah. Uh, the temp cycle was cool. Obviously, they put the curses in here. Curses are trash. Uh, one of the temp, not so good. The other one's interesting. I like the political aspect of it. Um, but before we get and talk about the set as a whole. We've had some pretty good beers here. 
I've had quite the beer. So the beer I was drinking was a Talisman Brewing Company. It's called Killer Grove Blood Orange Wheat Ale. So this Killer Grove has actually been really refreshing. Um, it's like a little cloudy, and I, I kind of, I get like a funk to it. That's like, I mean, it's almost a sour. You know what I mean? Yeah, right on the. The tip, like right as you taste it, and it's got that sourness to it. Yeah, it's really tart, but uh, I actually really, really like it. It's got a lot of fruit notes, very orangey on the nose. It's crisp and refreshing. I'm kind of, it says low. This is what their IBUs was Yeah, they gave as. us low. Uh, so we don't know an exact number, but it actually does taste like it has a little bit of bitters in it. Yeah, I would, I would guess somewhere 20, 30, 30 yeah. yeah, somewhere in there. Uh, it's, it is nice. It's... Like I said, it does have a complex kind of characteristic to it where it does start like on this kind of tart sourness and then kind of develops into this sweet orange flavor and then yeah. smooths out. It's just this nice wheat ale and it kind of leaves that lingering on you. And for me, I got that Keto's Coffee Cream Ale. And this one, this beer is deceptive. That is the word I'm going to use for it. Very. Just because of the coloration on it. It came out as this gorgeous golden colored cream ale which you expect out of cream ale and then you smell it and it's got this kind of bitter coffee-ness to it and then you taste it and it tastes like a coffee beer and it looks like a summer beer yeah i mean it tasted dark enough that i thought it was kind of stouty you know what i mean it had enough of that coffee kind of burnt flavor that it tasted roasted. kind of yeah roasted kind of malty flavor like it it's not a high malty beer but it kind of felt that way no it's another utah beer it's a four percent uh the talisman beer also from utah so we got a couple of local beers here and the coffee cream ale i'd be used 10 not bitter really? at all yeah it's very very nice smooth enjoyable but the it's very, I'm reading on the website here, it's, it's very interesting. Uh, using unground Guatemalan coffee beans from a local roaster here in town, in Salt Lake, uh, they create a nice, rich, dark coffee taste without adding any of the coloration to it. The the coloration kept on throwing me off. Every time I looked at it and tasted it, I just, I mean, Gary mentioned it once or twice, yeah. it's just, I had a puzzled look on my face. It's like, it does not match what I think I should be drinking. Solid beer, though. I'd have another. So, uh, how do we feel about the set as a whole? The five decks. How'd, how'd they do? So, I think that there's one deck that's bringing them down considerably. Yep. Other than that, I think they did a good job. The beast deck was underwhelming. Very. Um, we've got like a couple of finishing questions here. Uh, did these decks set a precedence for years to come? What do you think? I think that as far as the commanders are concerned, I think that Yuleva's very strong. I think that yeah. on her own, she's very good. Rune, you know, people people make Rune decks. Terebi's a very strong commander. Uh, Mael is not really... Marath, you know, was okay. I think that people probably figured out ways to abuse that. Prosh... He I shows mean, up a lot. Prosh is just incredible. There's a reason why he was tier one for so long. Yeah. Like, I think that as far as the commanders go, they did a great job. Uh, as far as supporting them, for the most part, I'd say that they did, they did all right. Okay. The Allura deck wasn't wasn't too bad. They had a lot of life gain ways to capitalize on it, but I think that they really could focus down on ramp and card draw and just focusing really on one commander, yeah, and, and using that as a basis. All right, was this a successful product? 
Um, I don't know. What are what are our ways that we can measure that? I mean, obviously, well, I mean, obviously sales, right? And this, this product sold, sold decently well. Yeah. I don't think it sold as well as 2011. No, I think that they also printed a lot more of this than they did for 2011. That's probably... Wait, it was a smart idea. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, I think they were also dealing with the fact that they had just come off the tails of the 2012 product, which was... Underwhelming, to say the least. So, I mean, I think it was probably as as successful as it could be. Obviously, as a whole, the Commander product, we can always say, looking back, that it has to be somewhat successful or they would have stopped at some point. Um, But I, I can't imagine that this was as successful as the 2011 product was. Yeah, I think that that's... I think that using 2011 as a measuring stick is kind of... It's a good point. But at the same time, I think it's unfair because 2011 kind of came off out of nowhere, I think, for a lot of people. Yeah, it's true. Well, and also coming off of 2012, there's going to be some mixed feelings about what Commander product is even going to be or could be or what we even want to do with it. Well, I guess what's important is the cards that they printed, right? Yeah. So there's some really good cards like Prosh and Aloro, but then there's kind of some duds like Tempt with Glory. Um, Do you think they're worth the price? Back then, probably. Yeah, I think so. The I mean, deck. like realistically, I, I kind of look at this from an outside perspective of would I be able to buy this deck from singles and build it for a decent cost? And when I build decks, I want to spend less than $100 on a deck. I want to spend less than a dollar card, basically. I mean, and none of them are more than 100 When you think about buying a product as a packaged product and not as singles, you can never think of the single value of each card. Because if you say, yes, each card valued up equals $95, technically that obviously is worth the price. But you've got to think about the synergy and the actual effectiveness of the deck. I don't think any of the decks meet a $100 synergy deck. No, definitely not. There's much better steps you could take with some of those cards to make a deck that's just far more powerful at $100 if you just choose your cards carefully. Right. And I think a lot of it comes down to, you know, like personal preference on these cards, right? They're just, a lot of the cards are just legitimately bad and they just didn't improve upon 2011 that much. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Like, yeah. I, I just don't think that the mistakes that they found or that people presented them with, they answered. And I think that that's my biggest problem with this product. Yeah, I don't think they these didn't were the learn biggest... Enough. These weren't a big step up from what they had before. No. But 2014, they did some. Yeah, some 2014, good they took a, a large risk. Yep. And I think that it paid off for a lot of Commander players. But I think that a lot of people were kind of annoyed by the new rule that they presented. And so when yeah. we talk about those decks, you'll see what, specifically what I mean. Yeah, we're prepping up another episode to talk about 2014. And I think. There's there's some stuff in there that's a little more interesting. But before we do 2014, we have a special series that we're going to do. Yep. We're going to do a series on the color wheel. So we're going to talk about each color. We're going to do an episode for each one. Uh, we're going to try and make sure that Corey's in on it because he does have a lot of good input about what colors mean in magic. So look forward to that. Yeah, specifically because 2014, like you said to me off off camera, so to speak, um, they're all monocolored. So we're going to get into a little bit of the history of the colors and a little bit of the synergies of the colors and sort of their, you know, their strengths and weaknesses. Um, so yeah, we're getting all that stuff prepped up for you. Keep an eye out. Uh, and yeah, hit us up on Twitter and let us know what you're drinking. Let us know what, uh, what 
prosh decks you're making, what degenerate shit you're doing with that, because I've I've played a few of those against a few of those, and I wasn't I wasn't a huge fan. Wait until you play with one. <laughs> I was gonna say he's cool, but I just don't like playing against him. Yeah, I've got an aristocrats deck that I've been working on for for a while now, and uh, I'll let you play that deck a few times, and I think you'll you'll come around on. Maybe I'll have some affinity. We'll see. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. We're glad you're uh, we're glad you're here with us on this big ride we're taking. And uh, make sure if you're drinking, you're drinking responsibly. Yeah. Right. Don't drink and drive. No underage drink drinking, underage, guys. Yeah. Just stay responsible. Stay safe. But uh, go have some great magic games. Go whoop some ass. And as always, have some fun. But not too much. Bye.